Hana, good morning, good morning. Uh, I'm so pumped to be here, and quite frankly, I am honored y'all trust me with a microphone. How is everyone's Halloween-y weekend going? Y'all sound depressed. How's your weekend been? Uh, that's a little better. How was the pumpkin party rave? Oh, there we go. Y'all, would you agree with me that it was um, <clears throat> Jacko lit? If you weren't there, we missed y'all. We're stoked you guys are here this morning. Um, big shout out, welcome to all our guests and first timers. I'm so stoked that y'all are here. Um, God has you here for, for a reason. You're here for a purpose and, and he has a message to speak to you. Um, and, and he calls you to respond uh, just with love. God loves you guys. He loves all of y'all oh so much. And a welcome to the Ohana, returning back once again. Um, I'm sorry we get to worship God together. United as house churches on a Sunday morning, on campus no less. So this morning, we're talking on Acts chapter 10. And we get to follow the Holy Spirit as, on his adventure through his apostles and the disciples of Jesus. Um, this school year, we've been working through Acts 1, all the way to 28 by the end of the school year, believe it or not. Um, and so we read one chapter each week, and then on Sundays, we talk about it, whether that's in house churches or like this morning with, with a teaching about it. So we're going to dive in with it, but first, let's pray once more. You can never pray enough. Abba Father, Lord, we praise you for breathing your breath your spirit, your life into us this morning that you've given us today with intentionality and purpose. God, we know our purpose is to live for you, and we praise you for inviting us into this adventure, this journey to run this race set out before us. God, your children, we cry out to you this morning for your protection, for your assurance, for your healing, your grace, and your love. Lord, hear us this morning. Be with your church across the world. Be with Uganda and the Ebola outbreak happening there. Lord, would you heal the afflicted, but more heal the spiritually afflicted. Lord, disease and death, it is heartbreaking. God, would you heal and would you use healing to guide people to you as more than just healer of the body, but healer of the mind, heart, and soul. Lord, around the world, your church is being beaten, being scorned, being persecuted, being jailed, being murdered for their dependence and worship of you. God, would you blind the enemy this week? Lord, blind the persecutors that they would be brought down as your footstool. Lord, raise your army. Lord Jesus, protect and guide, comfort, care for, support, encourage, strengthen your children so that they would lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, that we would run with endurance this race set before us, keeping our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, as a pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Lord Jesus, you endured the cross, you despised the shame, and you sit now at the right hand of the throne of the Father, waiting for the day to return. Oh God, be in our midst. Our campus hurts with, with mourning and assaults. Lord, would you comfort the family, the friends, the witnesses, comfort the assaulted, bring security to the, this campus with your kingdom of grace, truth, and love. 
God, be with H2O. Would you bless H2O, bless AIA, bless IFI, bless Crew, bless Chi Alpha, Rock Campus Fellowship, Christians on Campus, all the new and current ministries, all of the Bible studies happening on your campus in your name. Lord, we praise you for all the work that you're doing. We praise you for all of the work that you are doing on this campus through us. Lord, would you use us in our obedience to meet the spiritually lost right where they are, to show them your love. Lord, to show them that you change us for the better. To show that you change our path from ultimate death to ultimate life and life more abundant. God, speak to us not just today, but tomorrow and this week. Lord, we praise you, we love you, we need you. Amen. Amen. All right, so Acts 10. Turn there if you want, um, but I want to take a step back a little bit, um, and I want to review the chapter that, as it fits into the gospel narrative as a whole. Um, and so, what's our gospel narrative as a whole? Well, it's starts with Luke. Acts is, is Luke part two. Um, so the first thing that I want to highlight this morning is that Jesus, God the Son, he came to earth in pursuit of humanity to save us from the death penalty for not loving God above ourselves so that we can live in freedom, in grace, in love, in joy. This is why everything that's happening in Acts is happening People share God for this reason, that Jesus came to earth as Savior and Redeemer of humanity to save us from the punishment of sin, that we can have eternal life with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so they're talking about this, Aaron. Sure, I get that. I hear that. But like, why? Why did Jesus do what he did? Well, I heard this recently, and it will perk the ears of a particular individual, but uh, it's this wise idea from a wise, wise man, uh, Mike Donahue. Yeah, there are the ears perked. Essentially, he says that there's this word in the Bible, propitiation. Propitiation. And I think he, he relates it in a way I think a lot of us can, can relate to. It's this idea that uh, we deserve a spanking from God for our disobedience. Much like a young child disobeys dad, we disobey God. And so God is winding up for the butt spank, but Jesus put his butt in the way. And he takes our spanking for us. Our father is perfect in love and grace and mercy, but he's also perfect in justice. And so Jesus, taking our place, not only fulfills the righteous justice of God, he also brings in reconciliation between us and God. Okay, great analogy, Aaron. You just talked about Jesus' butt. Is that allowed? What, what are you talking about? Well, let's look at Matthew 27. So for some 30 years, the fully God and fully man Jesus, not some halvesies demigod, 100% God, 100% man. Jesus lived the perfectly obedient life, always living life in a perfect relationship with love, with the Father and the Spirit. And he modeled what life looks like for us, united with God. And it took God 
wrapped in man flesh, to always be in unison with God. No human's ever done that. No mere human ever will. And yet, Jesus was put on trial for heresy and blasphemy at six in the morning. We can't even tie our own shoes without coffee at 6 a.m. And there was a crowd out there rioting in the streets to murder Jesus and to save a murderer and insurrectionist from the death penalty. And so upon that condemnation, Jesus was beaten to the point that he wasn't even recognizable. He was spat on. He was flogged to the bone from his shoulders down his back to his thighs with a bone fragment laced whip. He was publicly mocked, scorned, and humiliated. At nine in the morning, Jesus was hammer and nailed to a cross through his wrists and his ankles. And he was left there to hang for six hours. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. God loves us so much. God loves you so much that the son allowed himself to be viciously, intentionally, and maliciously murdered. Jesus died in our place. On the eternal scale, we either choose to live outside of God and receive our due justice for eternity, or we can accept Jesus died in our place, making us right, making us righteous in the sight of God. But I'm not talking about a dead God. No! Verse 53 in Matthew 27 tells us that Jesus resurrected from the grave. He rose from the dead. And the people who were dead nearby, who were made righteous in him, they rose too and walked into the city. Matthew 22, 32. Jesus is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Jesus is the propitiation for the sins of the world, for each and every one of us, for me and for y'all, for you. He took our place. Justice righteously served, and Jesus conquered death itself and became the bridge for us to go from being in death to being in life. Jesus is who brings us to God, nothing else. Jesus is the one who bridges us across an otherwise uncrossable divide to God. Jesus is death to life and life everlasting. And so Jesus calls your name this morning, today, your whole life, all of your life left. Jesus calls your name, calling you out of the grave, calling you into victory over death with him. Will you accept that call? Will you accept that call every day? Look into Luke 9.23 sometime. Okay, so we have the glorious Jesus. He has rose from the grave, and he lived some 40 days on earth. 
And he, he spoke to his followers saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. And behold, behold, I am with you all the days until the end of the age. This next highlight for y'all is that Jesus, having come to earth in pursuit of humanity, now pursues humanity in a new way, a greater way, according to him. He commissions his disciples to proclaim repentance and salvation by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, by the will of the Father. Jesus pursues people with people, and people are called to repent and believe. And in Acts 1, we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus to the city they were in, Jerusalem, the, the very city that, that, that chose to crucify Jesus. Yeah, they started there. And wow, y'all, they proclaimed thousands of Jews accepted Jesus as God the Son, as Savior and Redeemer, and a new church birthed there, and it, right there in Jerusalem, and it flourished, and it grew, and it spread throughout all Judea and Samaria. And during this time, there is a great list of things that happened. During this time, people were healed in the name of Jesus. They were thrown in jail because they were proclaiming the name of Jesus. They were commissioned as servant leaders and miracle workers and gospel sharers by the name and power of Jesus. They were proclaiming the name of Jesus even in the darkest of places. They were murdered because of the name of Jesus, and people were repenting of their sins and believing in the name of Jesus. Are you not stoked? Like, come on, y'all look dead. Is that not dope? And it's in this context. It's in here that we come across Peter, who's traveling around the region. He's encouraging and supporting the church, the flourishing church. He's healing the paralyzed. He's raising the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God throws him the next curveball. He reveals the next phase of his commission to proclaim repentance and salvation to the nations in the name of Jesus. So we arrive at Acts 10. Peter's meat dream. And we're going to read this, but I don't want y'all to, to read along with your eyes. I want you to listen as I read the word of God to you. You close your eyes, imagine the scenes, picture in your mind's eye what's going on. And we're going to do this together. So in verse 1, there was a man, a certain man, in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, devout and fearing God together with all his household, doing many charitable deeds for the people and praying to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God coming to him and saying to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him and became terrified and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your charitable deeds have gone up for a memorial offering before God. 
And now send men to Joppa and summon a certain Simon, who is also called Peter. This man is staying as a guest with a certain Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him departed, he summoned two of the household slaves and a devout soldier from those who attended him. And after he had explained everything that, that happened, he sent them to Joppa. And the next day, as they were on their way to approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray at about the sixth hour, and he became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing the food, a trance came over him. And when he saw heaven opened and an object, something like a large sheet coming down, being let down to the earth by its four corners, in which were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And a voice came to him, Get up, Peter, slaughter and eat. But Peter said, Certainly not, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common and unclean. And the voice came again to him for the second time, The things which God has made clean, you must not consider unclean. And this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed within himself as to what the vision he had seen might be, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having found the house of Simon by asking around, stood at the gate. And they called out and asked if Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there as a guest. And while Peter was reflecting about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Men are looking for you. Get up, go down, go with them. Do not hesitate at all because I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am he whom you are looking for. What's the reason for which you've come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, and well spoken of by the whole nation of the Jews, was directed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. So Peter invited them in and entertained them as guests. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied. And on the next day, he entered into Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So it happened that when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter helped him up, saying, Get up! I myself am also a man. And he conversed with him. And he went in and found many people gathered. And he said to them, You know that it is forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or to approach a foreigner. And to me, God has shown that I should call no man common or unclean. Therefore, without raising any objection, I came when I was sent for. So I ask now, for what reason have you sent me? And Cornelius responded, Four days ago at this hour, the ninth, I was praying in my house, and behold, a man in shining clothing stood before me. And he said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard, your charitable deeds have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and summon Simon, who is also called Peter. This man is staying as a guest in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you at once, and you were kind enough to come. So now we are all present before God to hear all the things you have commanded, uh, been commanded by God. So Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I understand that God is not one who shows partiality. 
But in every nation, the one who fears him and who does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the message that he sent to the sons of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, this one is Lord of all. You know the thing that happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, because God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Judeans and in Jerusalem, whom they also executed by hanging him on a tree. God raised this one up on the third day and granted that we should, or that he should become visible, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen beforehand by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people to testify solemnly that this is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and of the dead. To this one, all the prophets testify that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who were listening to the message. And those believers from the circumcision who had accompanied Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and glorifying God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can withhold the water for these people to be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit as we also did. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Christ Jesus. Then they asked him to stay for the next several days. What, what a chapter, right? Like we're talking a chapter. This is the account of the first non-native Jew to receive God's empowering Holy Spirit. Here's the first Gentile Christian in scripture, and it's here that Peter witnessed the gates swing wide for the Holy Spirit going into the world to empower Christians. That is the next phase of God's commissioning his people to proclaim repentance and salvation in Jesus to the nations. No longer will only the Jews get to have the Holy Spirit's dwelling and empowerment. So too will anyone who repents of their sin and believes in Jesus. So something that, that really surprised me as I was reading through this chapter was really cool. It was a time historical nerdy thing, so I hope y'all are excited for that. I think it's something that the text kind of overlooks a little bit because it's not the main point of the passage, but it's still really cool. So the time span between Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10 is like at least a year. And at the end of Acts 8, Philip has just baptized a eunuch, and then he went on the Lord's way to proclaim the gospel of Jesus through Caesarea. Now, in Acts 10, Peter makes his way to Caesarea for the first time. And it's here, it's the moment where the first Gentile receives the Spirit. But, but Cornelius was already worshiping God before Peter got there. How, how did he already hear about the Almighty God? What's going on? So Saul 
was persecuting the church earlier in Acts, and it caused everyone to move and spread throughout the, the region. Philip made it to Caesarea. Peter stayed in Jerusalem. So Philip had been there for a while. And in Acts 21, Philip is given the title, The Evangelist. So he makes it to Caesarea. He is evangelizing and sharing the gospel of Jesus for at least a year. And then Peter rolls in. Okay, well, what about Cornelius? What's that have to do with him? Well, he could have heard the gospel from Philip, whether directly or through one of Philip's disciples there. Or he could have uh, had uh, interaction with a Jew and could have been converted uh, to Judaism. So he's either Jewish convert or Gentile Christian. Okay, well, we only maybe know that. What do we know about, that, about Cornelius, Aaron? Well, we know he's, he's in the Roman military. He's a centurion, which means he's from Rome. And he was held in high esteem among the Romans as a centurion. Now, to also be held in high esteem by the Jews is honestly impressive. And in being based in Caesarea, that's where the governor of the region lived for the Roman Empire. So he probably, he could have been overseeing the palace guard there. So Cornelius, coming from Rome to Caesarea, he probably beforehand did not have any interaction with somebody telling him about God, and he certainly would not have heard about Jesus until he came to Caesarea. So maybe Philip, maybe someone else, maybe a Jew, maybe a, a Gentile Christian, somebody told Cornelius, and Cornelius came to love God alongside all his family. And it's not quite the same, it's similar. Cornelius is, is, is in the same spot as the apostles were before their Pentecost. Cornelius loves God, but he doesn't have the Spirit. And in Acts 1, the apostles and the disciples, they love God, but, but Pentecost hasn't happened yet. Cornelius, he might be in the same spot. He just hasn't had his mini Pentecost. And I think this also shows a perspective that we should have from Cornelius. We only hear about Cornelius believing. We don't hear who told him. And so there has to have been someone who prepared Cornelius's heart to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, but we don't know who they are. They, their name is not recorded. God's story, that's recorded. That should be our perspective. This is not about us. You are important, but you are not the point. You might do great things for God, and I hope and pray that each one of you does. But the stories that come out of that should point to God, not, not us, not you, not me. Let our perspective be so much bigger than us. Let it be God. Which, which reminds me that yeah, I think a lot of people, they think of, of laboring for God as only doing what Peter did. Walking around, preaching in public, and, and left and right, you've got the dead raised and the paralyzed healed, and everybody's like, Woo, Jesus! That's not, the daily, that's not the daily grind. There's so much more for laboring for God. 
Yeah, here, Peter reaped the harvest. You know, he came by, shared the gospel, Cornelius accepted Jesus. Yee-hoo! Real quick shindig. But, but following this farming example, this theme, are there not months on end before a harvest? Do we not have to tend to the ground, fertilize the soil, water or plant the seeds and water the sprouting crops and let time go by? Then the harvest happens. There's like six months of preparation for five seconds of pulling a corn off the stalk. And I think that's the same for laboring for God. Going through the moments, the days, the weeks, the months, the years, the decades, maybe. Caring for someone through their highs and lows and pointing them to God. Maybe God has it in store for you to be, to be able to, to experience and witness a harvest. Maybe a Peter comes by and, and it's his calling for that harvest. That's okay. Your labor is important and it has eternal significance. Your labor is important, but Jesus is the point. God's plan is greater than ours. So let's focus on that joy. Let's celebrate the eternity changed for someone who loves and accepts Jesus. Let's learn from the person the Bible doesn't mention that our labor for God should let God's work be the story to last generations, not our name. So let's talk about Peter's pork dream. Peter's doing some prayer. He's seeking God's heart and desires, and he got hungry. So he must not have been fasting because he did what we all do when we get hungry. And we're at a guest's home. Hey, host, can we cook up some grub? He goes and he's like, yo, I'm hungry. So Peter's doing his thing. He's preparing a cheeseburger, obviously. And God delivers a message to him. God delivers a message to him. He says, Peter, you can have all the meat you want, brother. Please enjoy pork chops. No, I don't think that's what God means. I don't think that's what he means. So what does he mean? What does God mean by, by this analogy, this, this vision here? Well, Peter wasn't sure at first. He's confused. He's greatly perplexed within himself. He's confused at first. And then when the men sent from Cornelius come asking uh, for Peter, he still doesn't know. He's like, well, why did y'all send for me? Well, then he goes with them, and he gets to Cornelius's, and he's still confused. And then he talks with Cornelius, and he enters the room, addresses the group, and says, literally, why have you guys sent me? That's four times Peter's like, I have no idea what's going on. But as he goes through, things slowly start to clear up. Eventually, Peter does put two and two together. He's slow. Uh, but aren't we all at times? And so here are some things that, that I've learned from, from Peter going through this, this uh, situation. Peter was confused, and he didn't understand. But he was given a vision. And when God said, okay, 
It's time to go. Peter went. He did not hesitate. And I think so often in our culture, we sit and wait, and we sit and wait, and we sit and wait some more. And we expect God to deliver not only the vision, but the detailed step-by-step outline of how to do it. And if, we, if he doesn't fill in section 3B, we don't get going. I don't think God works by giving us a detailed outline every time. When God tells us to do something, we should start doing it. You know, for a time, Jesus told the apostles to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So they took action by praying and waiting. And now God tells Peter, here's the plan. Walk with those guys. Peter's not like, well, hold on a minute. Like, where are they going? Do I need to prepare some food to go? No, he's just like, cool, I'm going with y'all. Let's go. He didn't, God did not say the in-between details. God did not outline his plan for Peter. And so Peter had to fully trust God despite kind of walking blind. We need to be okay with walking blind, taking that step of faith. Not recklessness, but prayer-backed, spirit-led step of faith. If God asks us to jump, we don't deny his request and say, okay, yeah, I hear you, God, but like, do I have enough energy? Do I have enough resources to jump? How high are you asking me to jump? Are you asking me to jump right now or like mm, two to five years down the road? No, if God says jump, jump! Without the gripe. Second thing that I learned from Peter, God's speaking a new covenantal law to him. This this food thing, this cleanliness topic comes from Leviticus 11. And God's, he's telling Moses what foods the Israelites and therefore the Jews, what they can eat as a, a visual, symbolic visualization of their separation from the rest of humanity as God's chosen people. Jesus comes and fulfills that law, and he ushered in a new covenant of grace and salvation in him. But Peter, he was still learning what was old, what was new, what was replaced, what was still relevant, what was brand new. He was learning about his identity and his purpose in Jesus. And I think we likewise need to do the same. We need to process. We need to understand. We need to seek out what it means to have our identity in Jesus and our purpose with Jesus. And guess what? I can tell you all that this morning. What's your purpose in life? Our chief purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy being with him. Now, for your identity in Jesus— This is a non-inclusive list. I hope you all are ready. Your pens will not go fast enough. In Jesus, you are free. 
You are the light of the world. You are given authority and power over the enemy and sin. You are a child of God. You are forgiven, made righteous, joint heir of God. You are secure in God's love. You are a conqueror against all that comes against you trying to separate you from God. You are a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, reborn into a new creation. You are reconciled to God, one in Christ, a saint, a citizen of the eternal kingdom of God. You are a prayer warrior against the devil. You are protected by God, chosen. You are a gospel sharer, devoted repenter, truth defender, committed discipler, and so much more in Jesus. That is your identity in Jesus. So let's talk about Peter's gospel share here, huh? Let's reread a little bit here in verse 38. Jesus of Nazareth, God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, because God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things that he did, both in the land of the Judeans and in Jerusalem, whom they also executed by hanging him on a tree. God raised this one up on the third day and granted that he should become visible, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen beforehand by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify solemnly that this one is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and of the dead. To this one, all the prophets testify that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That's a message. Could have just said that and been out of here. What Peter's saying here is reinforced by Paul, by John, by Mark, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, John 3.16-18, through 18, Ephesians 2.8 and 9, Hebrews 12.2, all these verses fall right in line with this. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all rejected God's authority multiple times throughout our lives, and in rejecting God, we reject eternal life. And in rejecting eternal life, we're left with eternal death. But we can have eternal life by accepting God and the gift of Jesus as Savior of us and Lord over us. God loves humanity, his creation, so much that he sent the Son to save us. Jesus is the originator and perfecter of our faith. He endured the cross. He disregarded the shame. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. And so God saves us by his grace through our faith in Jesus, who calls us to admit our disobedience to God, to turn away from that disobedience, to turn toward God and live with God in repentant freedom and to show people who are oppressed by the devil what freedom in Jesus is. But there are people. There are people who are unlike Cornelius, who don't like that reality. 
Many people want to flip who is good and who is bad. People love to think that mankind is naturally good, that God is some faker. People want to feel in control. They want to feel happy that sin does not exist, that they have complete control over their own destiny, that they are the ultimate sovereign. But the reality is that the way to joy is in the hands of someone else. And rejecting those sovereign hands is accepting the sin that so entangles. But some people want to live in their own make-believe lie anyway. Now, let's say here, as the example, that you're out swimming in the ocean and you get caught up in a riptide. And it's a strong riptide. And you are now drowning in an ocean. I bet that if y'all were in this situation, you would do everything you can to scream out for the lifeguard's help and to constantly fight the downward pull of a riptide. To be able to stay at the light and the breathable air at the surface and not be drugged down into the suffocating depths of the dark ocean. That is the reality that we are all in. That is the reality that you are in. You are drowning in an ocean of eternal death. The riptide chains of sin constantly pull you down into the darkness, away from life. For Jesus is life, and the life is the light of humanity. Jesus is a lifeguard. He has already swum out to you. He is extending his hand. He is ready to bring you into safety with him. But rejecting Jesus' help is exactly the same as accepting the claims that the chains of sin and the ocean of death have on you. Jesus came to his own things, and his own people did not receive him. It's a vivid picture. We're being dragged down deeper and deeper into the ocean by chains that's wrapping around us, and we're refusing to grab Jesus' saving hands. It's a reality that people don't want. It's a reality people don't want to think about, don't want to picture in their minds. And so from Genesis to Revelation, people reject the authority, the saving grace, the eternal life that Jesus has always had. So the question here is, will you accept Jesus' saving action as your lifeguard? Or will you drown without him? We don't get another option. We don't have a choice C. We either go down on our own or we receive the gift of Jesus, which brings freedom to obey him. So what will you do? What will you do? As the band comes up, the challenge from this passage today is the gospel. Jesus 
He is not just for the Jews. Jesus is not just for the Gentiles. Jesus is not just for the goody good goods. He is not just for the rich, not just for white people, not just for your grandparents, not just for someone else, not just for somewhere else, not just for the past. Jesus is for you. It does not matter your background. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter who you are right now. It does not matter your skin, your financial status, your relationship status, your social status, or your family status. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also, together with him, freely give us all things? Who will bring charges against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised from the dead and who is now seated seated at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or distress, persecution or hunger, lack of clothing or danger or the sword? Just as it is written, on account of you, we are being put to death the whole day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. No, but in all these things, we prevail completely through the one who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, not height, not depth, not any other created thing will able to be separating us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus has been. Jesus is running for you. He's ready to hug you. He's ready to forgive you of everything you've done wrong, no matter what it is. He wants to love you, to be with you. Will you let him? Now, let's say that you're ready. Let's say you're ready that, that Jesus will save you from your sin, that will save you from the riptide chains of sin, We need to confess our disobedience to God. We are called to say we're sorry. We need to ask for forgiveness and believe Jesus. Now, prayer does, it does not save you. It is faith in Christ alone. But one way to express faith is with prayer. And if you're at that place this morning, let's pray together. Let's bow our heads and close in some prayer. God, I admit that I have sinned against you, that we have chosen our desires above you. Because of my sin, I was destined for death. But God, I believe in you. You, God, are creator of the heavens and the earth. You, Jesus Christ, my Lord, you were crucified, dead, buried. But I believe that God, by your power, Jesus rose from the dead. He has ascended into the heavens and he now sits with you. God, I believe that the Holy Spirit, you moved in acts. You move today. You move in our lives. You move in my life. Forgive us, God. Forgive me. God, of my sin. I repent. I turn away from it. I turn to you. 
Jesus is Savior, my Savior, my Lord, my God. Go ahead, keep your eyes closed and then heads down. If you received Jesus as Savior, and Lord, you prayed with me for the first time, maybe it was the first real time, raise your hand that you accepted Christ as Savior and Lord. We want to come alongside you to support you, to encourage you in your new faith, your new walk with Jesus. Maybe you're interested to hear more about Jesus. Maybe you're not quite ready to call him Savior and Lord, interested still to talk more about him with someone. If that's you, if you're interested to talk more about Jesus, would you raise your hand? Praise God. God is a family man. He is a man of ohana. And ohana means nobody gets left behind or forgotten. In the Gospels, in Acts, everybody did everything in community. And so while we tear down the stage, while we eat food, talk with someone, ask to meet up with someone for lunch or for coffee or for dinner. Maybe you need to do breakfast. Be with people this week. Be in community. And for, for all of us, church, today we are challenged with the truth of Jesus to share him with those around us, just like Peter did, just like Philip did. We've got opportunities of equipping and training every month before life group on what it looks like to share your faith with someone else and then to be battle buddied up to go and do it right then and there. It's beautiful. It's a springboard into doing that throughout all the rest of life throughout each week, throughout each day, each moment of listening for the Spirit, guiding you to someone to share God's love with them. Maybe that's walking up to a stranger and just praying over them in the name of Jesus. Maybe that's really sharing the gospel right then and there with a stranger. Maybe it's being a real friend who cares for another soul to walk through the highs and lows of life, pointing them to Jesus. Sundays and Thursdays are not the only days to share Jesus. No, 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 no. That is every day is a day to share Jesus as often as the Spirit prompts. It doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what time it is, does not matter who to whomever it is, doesn't matter the circumstance. Jesus is. to follow, sometimes blindly. We don't get to know what the future has. That is for God alone. But he invites us to follow, just as an army follows their commander into battle. When he calls, let's answer in faith. Let's respond with obedience, and let's do with diligence. So let's worship the Lord by singing some more songs. Let's align our hearts and our desires with his heart and his desires.